Welcome to The Leverage Point, a podcast about the development and performance at work. Improvement doesn't have to be hard or boring. This podcast is a pragmatist guide to growth, achievement, and success. Discover your leverage point. I'm Sergey Gorbatov. And I'm Angela Lane. We're researchers and practitioners in the field of talent, human performance, and behavior. Together with you, we'll translate science into leverage points. Today, we discover leverage points for your career together with our guest, Francesca Gino. Welcome, Francesca. Thank you so much for having me. Before we start, let me share Francesca's background. It is incredibly impressive. We're so privileged. Francesca is a world-leading authority in the areas of decision-making and leadership. A Harvard professor, we're privileged to have her here to share some amazing insights. Specifically, Francesca is an award-winning researcher who, among other things, focuses on how leaders and employees can be more productive and creative and have more fulfilling lives. She is the Tandon Family Professor of Business Administration in the Negotiation, Organizations and Markets Unit at Harvard Business School. She has been honored to be the world's top 40 business professors, under 40, and one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers. Her studies have been featured in The Economist, The New York Times, Newsweek, Scientific America, Psychology Today, and The Wall Street Journal. And her work has been discussed on National Public Radio and CBS. And Francesca is also a prolific author. And most recently, she has published the book called Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules in Work and Life. Francesca, what's the big idea of the Rebel Talent book? The big idea behind the book is that we think about rebels the wrong way. We usually think about rule breaking as a very destructive thing. And what I wanted to suggest is that rule breaking can be quite constructive. In fact, rebels or the constructive rebels that I've studied and followed over the years are people who challenge the status quo in ways that are productive and that drive positive change in their organizations, but also in the world around them. And when I think about the world that we live in, it's clearly a world that is becoming more uncertain and our problems definitely are becoming more complex. And the rebels are people who are undaunted by novel situations and ideas and come in with a lot of curiosity about what to do. And there are people who adapt quite quickly to change. I think we stand to learn from them quite a bit. Oh, and uh, you mentioned constructive rebels. Uh, I guess there are other types as well. <laughs> I think that are the uh, the ones that are not that constructive. And in my book, what that would mean is that they don't have the, the type of qualities and the type of talents that I discuss. I identify five of them that I've seen repeatedly in many rebels that are successful in what they do, and they seem to be lacking in those rebels who instead are not that successful. And the five are, first, a desire for novelty. The second one is a desire for curiosity. The third one is the talent for broader perspective. Then there is authenticity and finally diversity. And when I think about the label rebel, part of the reason why I like it is that it gives the idea that the rebels are being courageous in fighting their own human nature. If I think about what I see in a lot of organizations or really in society more broadly, is people just accepting the status quo or the usual way of working 
and taking their routines for granted rather than coming in with a lot of curiosity. And so the rebels are people who, who fight their own instincts and their human tendency to bring out the best. So I love that uh, description of the rebel. I'd like to explore one aspect of this, which I think might be relevant to a lot of folks that listen. We mentioned this earlier on. I'm not a rebel by nature. Absolutely not a rebel. I did the rebel test. I am a guard in everything, probably. But even the idea of being a rebel, I have to say, makes me anxious. <laughs> Breathe heavily. I've got a two-part question. First, am I alone? Uh, it sounds like perhaps not. Perhaps there are lots of people like me. So how rare are real rebels? And secondly, if I'm not born a rebel, if it's not natural for me, can I learn it? Can I be someone who develops to become a rebel talent? So, Angela, first, you're not alone. In fact, the test that you're referring to, which is free and it's available on the book website, at rebeltalents.org. So if I look at people who've taken the test in the last couple of years, it's over 200,000 of them. Wow, and I have the data. I It was really a tool that I offered to people to learn more about the rebel type. But if I look at the data, you see about 16% of those 200,000 people being guards. So you're definitely not alone. There are guards <laughs> out there. But importantly, to your second question, you don't have to be born a rebel. Even if I look at myself, I didn't take the test since I felt that it would be a little bit unfair since I created it. And so I know too much about it to know which type of rebel I am. But I'm on the journey. I think I've been really inspired by the employees, the leaders that had the chance to study were being so constructive in their unconventional outlook towards life and work. And I felt that I had the opportunity to embrace my inner rebel more often. And I agree with you, it's uncomfortable. I think that that's part of fighting against our human tendencies, but it's so powerful. When we embrace our rebel talents, we end up performing better in the job that we do. We end up uh, thriving more at work. We end up being more creative, bringing more innovative ideas forward. And we also engage with our jobs and others differently and in a more meaningful way. And so to me, those benefits seem so good that I didn't want to miss out. And so I try on a day-to-day -day basis to think about where is it that I could bring in a little bit more curiosity or a little bit more perspective or authenticity or diversity or novelty. That's great. And um, our podcast is called The Leverage Point. And uh, we have this idea that small changes can lead to big impact. And listening to you, being a rebel can be a leverage point. So if you want more creativity, authenticity, perspective, curiosity, all those great things that you mentioned, then really um, discovering this rebellious side of you can really be a leverage point. And Francesca, you mentioned something about your inner rebel. So I, I hear there might be a story behind that. <laughs> I was reading the book and it's a fantastic uh, read. Angela listened to it. So uh, she got herself an audiobook. It's entertaining, accessible, deeply informative. Uh, what's the story behind? How did you come to write it? I was uh, going through the shelves of a local bookstore, as I often do, and on that particular afternoon, I found a book that it's pretty large, 
It's Merlewin Collar. So it looked interesting. And the title of it was Never Trust a Skinny Italian Chef. And as it turns out, this was a cookbook and my origins are Italian's origins. And so I started flipping through the pages and what I saw were beautiful pictures of what looked like amazing traditional Italian dishes, but they didn't look anything like the type of dishes I grew up with. So if I think about lasagna, it was a big one in my family growing up. And yet you would see the picture of this lasagna dish called the crunchy part of the lasagna. And it looked more like an Italian flag on a plate. Um, And it got me intrigued. And I started reading. And next to the recipes, there was a story of the chef who created them. And in learning about the story of this chef, his name is Chef Massimo Bottura, I felt very inspired because here we have a chef who went to traditional Italian dishes and decided to reinvent them. So his restaurant is all about putting innovative spins on traditional Italian dishes. And the restaurant became the best restaurant in the world in 2016. It's now a three Michelin star restaurant. They were at the top of the list also in 2018. But if you know anything about Italians, the story is remarkable because There are all sorts of things that are said about Italians. Two, at least, are true. First, we have lots of rules when it comes to cooking. We might not have a lot of rules about speeding or parking legally, but when it comes to cooking, all the ways that you pair certain type of sauces to certain type of pasta, beautiful rules that that get followed to create some amazing dishes. And second, we cherish our old ways especially when it comes to recipes that have been passed on for centuries. And so I was really struck by the story of the chef who had the courage to go and look at these traditional Italian dishes and ask questions with that curiosity that we used to have when we were a little kid. And he said, why do we cook dishes this way? Maybe it made sense 20 years ago, but not today. And he reminded me of all those visits to organizations that I've had in the past where you will look for maybe processes or systems or ways of working that to the eyes of a person who doesn't work there really made little sense. But then when you ask people, why is it that you do things this way? The answer was always the same. And it would be, we've always done it that way. And so you have that courage of breaking away from those traditions and reinvent them. Uh, Butura, this chef, refers to traditions as a well-received experiment. And he thinks of traditions as something that was built to be reinvented. And I think that if we think about it, there is a lot of power (laughs) in that type of thinking. And I think that that's the type of thinking of a rebel. I love that. A tradition tradition is a well-received experiment. So someone... Uh, made a mess out of something early on. And then people said, oh, there is something in it. Let's let's do it this way. And then all of a sudden, everyone is doing that. Absolutely. I guess, so th- th- this is what happens with innovation. You know, you do something for the first time and everyone says, that's stupid. Uh, the second stage is, mm, there is something in it. And the third stage is uh, everyone's doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that uh, there is a great point in being rebellious there is to find those experiments that have the potential to, to be well-received. And behind that, I guess, is that innate curiosity that you were talking about, the idea of just being open to the 
question, could this be done differently or could it be done better? And I know that one of your fields of expertise is this whole idea of curiosity. And listeners might want to check out a great piece that you did for Harvard Business Review entitled The Business Case for Curiosity. What are some practical things that we can all do maybe daily just to help us be more curious about our world? One easy thing is to remember what we used to do when we were little, which was ask questions, often quite constantly. I'm the mom of four children, anything from 15 months old to eight years old. So I'm in the land of curiosity. But it's actually quite beautiful to see my kids raise all sorts of questions. And whenever I feel that I give them a good answer, another question kicks in almost unexpectedly. And the reason why I'm mentioning children is that if you look at the data, curiosity is something that peaks at the age four and five, and then it declines steadily from there. And I think that that is a very sad result. And it raises all sorts of questions of why is it that it happens and why it tends to happen so quickly. Education. Education happens. Mm -hmm. Education happens. And the fact that we start focusing on performing rather than staying open to the beauty of learning. The second thing that happens, which I think is also quite interesting, is that as we grow older, in fact, around the age 8, 9, 10, we start really paying attention to the impressions that we make on others. And one of the things that I've learned a long time ago when I was taking improv comedy classes is that curiosity and judgment can't coexist. And if you think about why we don't see often curiosity in organizations or curiosity when we are adults is because we fear being judged for the questions that we ask. And so I think right away, if we just remember that beautiful sense of wonder that we had when we were little kids and just be courageous enough to keep asking questions, that is a simple practice that I think can be helpful to us. And you can start with what if or why. You just started wondering a little bit more often. I'll give you another one, which I think especially in organizational settings is, I would say, low-hanging fruit. And it's the idea of adding learning goals to your developmental plans. Everybody tends to have performance goals for the quarter or for the year. When we add learning goals, research tells us not only we retain curiosity, but we actually end up performing better in the job. And so it seems like a great, simple idea that we can put into practice. I, I definitely need need that. My, my learning goal would be be less judgmental. And I mean, for, for, for me, it's a it's a professional condition. In in human resources, you interview people all the time, and you need to pass judgments, and you evaluate people all the time, and you need to pass judgments, and you're listening to two sides of the story all the time, or three sides sometimes, and you know that the truth is somewhere in between. So it's sometimes very difficult not to be judgmental. And I mean, as even as uh, little kids, I mean, Santa Claus is so judgmental. Unbelievable. You know, you've been uh, bad, you've been, you've been good, you get coal, you get presents. Uh, but uh, great, uh, great, great insights. Sergey, if I, if I may add, it's not only, I, I actually see it often also outside of HR. Like, think of the last meeting you were in and you were brainstorming ideas and how easy it is when others are suggesting their ideas and they're different from your own. It's just 
that judgment comes quickly. And in a world where we are striving to be more diverse in our organizations, in the groups that we work for, I think that likelihood of seeing diverse and challenging ideas coming through is much more likely. And so I think it's important to remind ourselves when the ideas are different to say, hmm, I wonder how you came up with that, or I wonder where we could take that idea rather than judging it instantaneously. I love that, that phrasing, I wonder. I, I, I wonder what or um, what you suggested, or why not, and if. Um, Angela, uh, I, I, I see that you are nodding, so this <laughs> must be resonating with you. I, I'm actually just smiling because I'm connecting kind of two thoughts. One was I was reflecting on the comments about the Italian culture, and then these uh, more uh, more recently just the, the impact of diversity on uh, on how we think. And I'm laughing and smiling to myself because I am an Australian sitting here in Chicago. Francesca, you are an Italian sitting there in Boston, and Sergei is a Russian who's now living in Spain. Uh, that kind of sounds like the opening of a joke, doesn't it? An Australian, <laughs> an Italian, and a Russian go into a bar. As you think about Rebel Talent, how do you account for kind of cultural differences? And do some cultures produce more rebels than others, or uh, are there cultures that discourage rebels more than others? Beautiful question. When I was working on this large book project, I was being very intentional in the example, in the stories, in the people that I brought into the book. And I was doing that to say, being constructive in our rebelliousness is not something that you only find in very innovative firms or in environment where you would expect it. Google, other technology firms or Pixar animation studios where you're trying to do something very creative. I brought in story from all sorts of industries or as wide as I could go, but also different parts of the world. And so you have companies in the United States, you have the best restaurant in the world, but you also have fast food chains. And the message there was that independent of the context, there are things that we can all do to A, embrace our own inner rebel, but B, create the conditions for others to bring out those inner rebels more often. And I think that both were important to me because often we don't do it ourselves, but also we put barriers to others being able to show up at their best. Francesca, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the C word uh, these days, uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. The world's largest experiment on virtual work, it's changed the rules of the game for both employees and employers. What changes around the rebellious behavior did you observe during the pandemic? One of the talents that seems to make quite a large difference if leveraged at a time like this one, which was something that I've learned actually by doing research post the book being published, is embracing curiosity. So with my colleagues, we conducted quite a few different research studies that shows that when you're curious, you actually experience stress in a different way. And rather than being paralyzed by anxiety and stress, you almost see the stress as offering an opportunity and enhancing 
the approach that you have towards work and life. So that was a really important finding. And again, something that came out of the book. And so it seems as if curiosity is almost a turbocharger. And so there is no better time than now than relying on that curiosity, keep asking questions because it's helpful to our well-being, our psychological state. And another thing that curiosity does is allowing us to, to ch- reach out to others much more easily. And so in a moment where connections are difficult to nurture, that also seems to be quite important. And I think we saw that a lot in, in industry. Leaders that perhaps were considered talent in a traditional environment all of a sudden were found wanting. Mm-hmm. And others who perhaps had not been considered special but who were open to figure out how are we going to do things with a blank sheet of paper rose to the occasion and it really caused us I think to rethink what is talent what does talent look like absolutely I guess if there was another one that other two I would mention other than the rebel talents that is important to leverage in a moment like the one that we're living through now One is authenticity, because with authenticity comes the fact that you're willing to make yourself vulnerable. And this is a time where there is a lot of uncertainty. And it's okay for leaders to recognize that they don't have all the answers. And sometimes we find authenticity and vulnerability to be difficult because we are so focused on ourselves. But what we fail to understand, as we see in our research, is that when we, in fact, go to others for their opinions or their thoughts, or when we say, I just don't know, we need to figure this out together, people feel empowered to contribute and join in and to try to problem solve together. And so if anything, when we show authenticity, when we show vulnerability, others respect us more and they see ourselves as human. So it's easier to connect rather than a person who's perfect and has figured it out. And the other talent would be perspective. Again, the type of situations that we are living through is a tricky one. I talk to a lot of leaders and employees who feel like they need to plan for something that is going to look very different after the pandemic, but feeling still because they feel constrained in so many ways, whether because of remote work or because what they used to be doing so easily is now not possible. And in situations like this one, we need to be open to ideas of others. We need to look at situations, decisions, or problems from all sorts of angles. And that's what a broader perspective, which is something that rebels tend to have quite easily, I think can be super helpful. And that's uh, something that is very indicative, very true about the environment that we live in. Leaders think that if they have robust plans, they're immune to the risks, they're immune to the environment, which cannot be further away from the truth. And who knows that? People who do improv theater. And uh, I guess that you worked a lot with the Second City. I really like this guy who teaches improv at Oxford, who wrote this book, Everything's an Offer. It's a fascinating book, super easy to read, and everything's an offer. You never know what's coming your way next, and you need to be prepared for whatever cue that you're going to get from your partner. And I remember chapter two in the book is called Only Dead Don't Improvise. 
everyone else <laughs> must be open, uh, must have their minds open, must have that broad perspective. And uh, what you said about authenticity is so true. It's a paradox uh, that leaders need to master that by showing vulnerability, you're showing strength. It's, um, you know, you need a different way of thinking just to grasp that idea, to, uh, to appear stronger, to be stronger, to be a better leader. You need to show that you don't have the answers, that you're vulnerable, that you're willing to listen to your ideas of others. Okay, one of the things we wrote about as it relates to, or relates to authenticity is just what's likely to happen post-pandemic. We've seen leaders who, out of necessity, have needed to show that they don't have answers, have let people into their homes, have had the same challenges with children and dog barking and, and those kind of things. And in one of our written pieces, we kind of speculate on, you know, when those leaders return to the extent that we return to whatever normal is going to look like. How do they keep that as part of how they uh, they show up as leaders? Uh, because our our inclination is we have to have all the answers, right? That's exactly. true. That's true. So, uh, but if we move away from the COVID scenario, and uh, this is the last question, I, I, I promise. Let's imagine a different types of scenario where every single person on the planet and on Mars, Mars is very popular recently, uh, has a copy of the Rebel Talent book. And in that scenario, by the way, Francesca, you are a millionaire, uh, just the, sh the, the sheer royalties uh, that, uh, that you're getting. And everyone is working hard on the Rebel skills. But then what if everyone is a rebel talent? It sounds like anarchy, all those rebels running around. Is, is there a risk of having too many, sort of too much of a good thing phenomenon? And uh, what's the right balance? Sergey, your question reminds me of a different type of question that I often receive, which is, what is that magical percentage of rebels that I need in my organizations? And you really uh, to, to the decimal. Can that's you, can, exactly can, can right. And you see the leaders taking the pen in their hands, ready to write it down. And I always give the same answer, which is 100%. And that's where you see the strange faces saying, wait, repeat that? Did you really say 100%? And I always say, I repeat 100%. And the reason why I'm saying that is that the reason why with this type of constructive rebelliousness, you get to a higher level of performance, more innovative ideas, better agility, a greater way of adapting to new situations, is because people fundamentally engage with their work at a deeper level. And both you and Angela, I'm pretty sure, are very well familiar with the engagement data across the globe. It's not pretty for most people the job is a source of frustration rather than a source of joy. And I think that thinking like a rebel can allow us to change that in a really powerful way. Jobs should not <laughs> suck for so many people. And when, in fact, we feel the energy in the work that we do, we fare better. And so that's where the 100% comes from. And again, we're looking at constructive rebels, the ones who are leading positive change and perspective and diversity are important. And as long as those two ingredients are part of their recipe, then I think we can be sure that they're going to act with their curiosity, with their novelty, with their authenticity in a way that is good for the organizations rather than just because they want to push the boundaries for the sake of it. 
So we should rename this podcast Job Shouldn't Suck. <laughs> I think that would be great. Well, it wouldn't be called work then, would it? Sergei promised it would be the last uh, question. I'm going to make that the last question from him because I know a little bit about your background. It's amazing. And in addition to all those formal credentials, you've mentioned your children, you're a mum of four, uh, some not even in primary school yet. Our podcast is called The Leverage Point and it's all about things that make a difference, things that let someone go on to do great things. And often the the leverage point might be a small one. Just love to hear about, as you think about your own career success and what you've achieved, what have been one or two of the things that have been real leverage points in your development and career? Writing this book, I think, has been one in the sense of allowing me to talk to so many different organizations, whether leaders of employees, and understand a little bit better why it takes courage and why it's uncomfortable to follow the path of a rebel. So to me, that was important. It was fascinating having to be the one rolling up my sleeve and say, here's how we're going to engage on the journey together has been very rewarding. And uh, it also consisted of a lot of learning. So that definitely would be one of them. The second one would be there is this, being in academia is a strange career where you go through different levels of promotions. And when you become this full professor, it is almost as if you've reached the top because you have a job for life. And to me, it was almost a funny feeling to wake up the day after I've heard that I became a full professor and nothing was different. And so I realized that I didn't have that as what I defined to be successful. I think what I, the way I define to success in my mind is thinking about the opportunity to influence how leaders think and how employees approach their work. And so I feel as if I have that opportunity every time there is an interaction of some sort with people who are working. And I think about the potential of, in fact, creating the shift in the mindset or the pause where you yourself say, oh, I wonder if, in this case, it would be, I wonder if I were more of a rebel on a day-to-day basis. And that to me is very exciting. And so having the realization that I'm in this business, not because of the title that you have as you uh, go through your career, but as uh, for the opportunity that you have to really change the way people think, that is very exciting. That's great. And on on this note, uh, we would like to thank you for joining us today. And uh, thank you for listening in everyone who is listening to to this episode. Remember that small changes can lead to big impact if you find the leverage point, like being a rebel. So keep asking yourself, what's my leverage point? And to continue the conversation, share this episode on social media, like LinkedIn or Facebook, with a comment or a question for the wider community. Thank you, Francesca. Till next time.